All right. Welcome to Conversations, episode number 47. I have Buddy Bailey here, and I am so excited at not only being a born and raised Alaskan. So, and this is not why I had you on the podcast by any <laughs> means, but anyone that's from Alaska has heard of Bailey's, right? Bailey's Furniture. I remember seeing you sitting in that huge chair as a kid. We're around the same age. And, you know, we've been from the sounds of it, like a lot of inner circles, like you're really close friends with a trainer that I used to manage for a long time, uh, Brady, you know, mm-hmm. and then John. And so just it's a small state, right? It you is. Know, and but hearing what and seeing what's happened over the last few years in your world, it was just a perfect person to have on the podcast. Right. And so I am grateful that you said yes and that you're here and we get to talk about your story today. I'm honored. Thank you for having me. Yeah. And looking so, forward to it. Yeah, me too. And so, I mean, start off for you, you know, take the story, you know, that's led to where you are right now. I mean, you can start, you know, in the life insurance, like where is your story really take off that we were talking about before we started recording? Yeah. Um, well, you know, I could probably take a lot of time talking about where my story started, but you know, a lot of my histories in furniture, obviously my dad started Bailey's furniture in 2013. Um, I wanted to kind of set out and go prove that I could do my own business stuff and went over to New York life, had a good career there. Um, you know, I think probably the biggest portion of real life, happening to me or in in my world uh, was when I left New York life, you know, towards the end there had some pretty heavy things happen that frankly, I just ended up getting fired, let go from New York life. And that was a very difficult time. And uh, out of that time came some of the biggest changes in me and my wife's life that uh, that kind of brought us to where we're at today. And it was very, very excited. So uh, excited to be where we're at today. So um, you know, so long and the short of it is, as I, I got accused of selling away that ended in me being let go at New York life is too much. And, and I get it tough, tough times, right? Where that brought me and my wife was a screeching halt to our income, not knowing what was left. So I kind of had a choice of going back to Bailey's furniture and maybe I'll sell some furniture or do whatever there. Um, but uh, I had lunch with a friend of mine, and he says, "Hey, what's what's next for you?" And I said, "Man, I really don't know. I don't I don't know that I want to go back and sell furniture and get back into that world at all." And he goes, "Well, what do you want to do?" And I said, "Man, I have I've had this idea for a really long time about building a virtual lease to own company." And he goes, "Well, tell me about it." You know, so we dive into it for a minute. And he goes, "Buddy, that's." possibly one of the most scalable best ideas I've ever heard. And I'm a part of a lot of startups in Alaska. So he goes, I think you'd absolutely be crazy if you didn't walk out of here and called five people. And I said, ah, that's funny and whatever. And he goes, no, seriously, who are the five people you're going to call when you walk out of here? So I gave him five names and goes, all right, well, I'm going to call you tomorrow and see if you actually called them. And sure enough, of those five people, uh, two of them became the founding members of our company together. And so me, my buddy Alan, who put me up to it, and then those two guys were the the start of our company, Zill Financial. Um, so that was all in in February of 2020, right amidst the COVID, COVID crisis of right. the world and all of that. So That's awesome. And so 
give me where did this idea come from this lease to own space was it just experiencing part of bailey's and seeing what your dad was going through did it come from insurance and what you were doing over there in new york life where did the motivation for this come from yeah no i uh so around 2004 2005 i was a freshman sophomore in college um pre-2008 we didn't realize it but we started seeing the writing on the wall of the 2008 crash we used to use Alaska USA Federal Credit Union for extra credit programs for consumers and stuff. And we had like, I don't know, the 70% approval rate. You know, you'd get lots of people through the door and all of a sudden that 70% was going down to 60, down to 50, down to 40. And my dad's going, well, shoot, we're losing sales because we're not approving enough people here. What's out there? So he does a Google search, finds this company called Progressive Leasing out of Utah. And essentially they said, well, we do virtual lease to own. And if somebody has a job, we say yes to them. Right. So we'd bring them in. And first, uh, first year we had them, we did like 250,000, then it grew to half a million, then it grew to a million. And next thing you know, over a three, four five year span and, and post 2008 with the major crash, I mean, we start doing two or $3 million a year in just LTO stuff. And I'm watching and I'm going, dad, man, we could do this. Like we could build our own of this very, very easily. This is back in 2009. So we're talking 14 years yeah. ago now. And uh, he goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Go, you know, go put together your business plan for it. And maybe I'll take a look at it with you. So I go, I spent three months building a business plan. And so 2009, I'm 23 years old and 24 years old. And uh, so I bring it to him and he goes, oh, that's, that's actually pretty good. And he goes, I don't know. Well, I'll think about it. So I went and I took that business plan to First National Bank. And I said, hey, First National, look at this business plan. Let's talk about it, see if we can make it work. And I got them to the point where they were ready to give me a million-dollar line of credit at 24 years old to go make this thing happen. And they said, well, you're 24. You don't own a home yet. You don't have you know assets, you know, all this stuff. You, we need Ron Bailey to sign on the line that he'd be sure. a co-partner with yeah. you and give you all the business and yada, yada. And anyhow, went to my dad and he goes, nope, not going to happen right now. <laughs> and so like in 2009, I, I just put it, I shuttered it. I put it wow. into a... a, a a box and that's where it left. So sitting on my desk today, my office a mile or two from here is my very original business plan of what I built from back then. I still have it. I have all of the pro formas that I built for it, the spreadsheets, everything. And uh, so that's where it all came from was this furniture deal. When we started the business again here, we didn't, uh, we didn't have any aspirations of going outside of Alaska either. When we started it out, I said, hey, you know, I think we can get my dad's business. I got him to sign a uh, letter of intent with us. And he said, yeah, if you guys get this thing up, spun up, he goes, I'll definitely move my business over to you. So he signs a letter of intent. Investors start coming in saying, cool, that's great. That's a great account. He's still doing two and a half, three million dollars a year in this. So, you know, let's just go make a couple million dollars a year. Well, anyhow, this happened, that happened. Our software out of the gate didn't work quite right. So he goes, hey, I, I can't move over to you yet until your software is going to work. It's just too much, right? So at that point, me and my investors went, shoot, I don't, I don't even know what's next. So I call one of my furniture rep buddies that his dad was our first furniture rep for Bailey's Furniture. And I said, hey, do you know anybody in Washington or Oregon I should come down and check this out with? And he goes, yep, let me make some calls. So we went down there. 
And uh, in about a 48-hour period, he and I closed $5 million of annual business. And we went, oh, well, that was pretty cool. So I went back down and we went to Oregon the next time, closed another $2 million of annual business and another 48-hour period. And we're going, holy smokes, like maybe there's a lot more space in this industry than we thought. And maybe we were thinking small, thinking Alaska this entire time, you know. And, uh, you know, next thing you know, we're we're uh, just bringing on retailers all over the place. We're up to four or five states, you know, that are coming on and, and all of that. So anyhow, that's been kind of the genesis of where it came from and how we kind of built to where we're at. I mean, there's just so much to unpack there. So like when you're talking about flying down to Oregon and doing two or $3 million in business, are you going around knocking on businesses doors and just like pitching them? Like where's the motivation for that? Like, yeah. So, I mean, we knew that furniture is our niche, right? I mean, I'm a 30 year furniture baby, right? right. My buddy, John, his father is, uh, he's a fourth generation furniture baby, right? So his, his dad, his grandfather and great grandfather were all furniture guys, right? So we just had really good furniture connections. He was a manufacturer's rep. So he's went around and sold all of them. He has every single black book phone number for every furniture guy in the Pacific Northwest. So, and then he's worked for one of the oldest furniture brands in the United States. So we just started going down. So what other furniture reps are around the U S that we could bring on to our platform as salesmen for us and we'll go support them. And so we started doing that and we now have salesmen in, in seven states that manage 22 states for us. Yeah. That's amazing. Get them to do the sales for you. That's, I mean, being a sales guy myself and as much work as it takes to execute sales, that's incredible. So right now, are you guys in a place where you are going out and still selling furniture stores? I know you're doing auto too, or are they just coming to you through word of mouth based on the kind of the brand you guys are building? Yeah. So that's a really good question. So it takes us working to open a new market. So we're one of our target markets right now is Phoenix, Arizona. Mm -hmm. And what will inevitably happen is we'll go in and we'll get three or four core furniture retailers with our furniture reps. We'll have them go in, we'll get a good deal. And then what happens is all of the smaller competitors come in and shop those guys. They see our signage. And then they start reaching out to us saying, hey, we want to have you in our doors as well, right? So we have to get a core, uh, call it your flagship retailer in a market. And then all of a sudden, everything else becomes ancillary to it, right? So what we do is we call them R3s. We're pretty big on our acronyms. So an R3 is a regional relationship rep is what we have. So they go and they create the relationships. Then we have an S3 that's a sales support specialist. So... Once we get an R3 in place, they bring on six, seven retailers, whatever they are, with all of their locations. So maybe it's 15 doors. We immediately have to hire basically support for them to go in and train, bring signage, uh, uh, onboard them, do all of the different things there. And those S3s and all of their extra time, we have them pop into a, a tire dealer, a small mom and pop furniture store and say, hey, we're at these retailers. If you'd like to jump on with us as well and offer us and off we go. Right. So. We built out a pretty automated online system where we we actually have retailer underwriting. We have all of those things built into our technology where it's a pretty automated process. I love that. Has that process mind of yours, has that always been something there where just getting automated, being, you know, just more efficient so it cuts down on man time? Or is that something you learned from the furniture business? Um, yeah, no, that's a, a really good question. I'm not a process guy. Uh, have you ever read the book uh, Rocket Fuel? No, heard of that? No. It's a really good one. You got to check okay. it out. It's about all of the 
the biggest, most explosive companies have a visionary person and then they have they have like a dreamer and a doer right, right? and i am a hundred percent a dreamer <laughs> i don't have a whole lot of rhyme or reason to everything but i see a vision of something that i think we can get to and i need somebody else to help me define that vision right so that's what ends up being kind of my uh my cfo or my right hand man that that helps me with that so um but from those processes, it took us a bit of a shift out of the gate. We were uh, all of our investors, our founders, all of us had thought from the beginning, we're an LTO company. We think of it that way. When, well, we're a leased home company. We're a leased home company, right? We had to make a massive shift to say, no, that's not actually true. We're a fintech. We're a financial technology is what we are that happens to offer LTO as a product of ours, right? So we've made a big shift there that LTO is our single greatest revenue source, but we made a big shift that technology from sales, technology from the standpoint of our service center, our collections, um, uh, just all of our operations, retail support, consumer support, everything is all driven off of technology, right? So we built, I mean, in inside of a year, we built a very, very robust proprietary software that uh, what we're making some pretty massive shifts right now and opening up new products outside of LTO. Love it. Yeah. I mean, fintech, right? That's a, I'd say about two years ago, that became a very trendy thing that you were seeing a lot more mm-hmm. around. I can only imagine you guys claiming that, put you guys in a category of, you know, defense or offense, you know, depending on how you look at it. Like, how, you know, are you stepping into a place where competition is going to be a great thing to you? Or is that going to be something you have to defend yourself from? Because I can only imagine as you get bigger, people are going to be looking at you in a certain type of way of a threat or a competition. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, there's a couple different thoughts there is somebody that's a direct competitor of ours. It's, you know, what is our market differentiator from what they do, right? And for us, you know, it's it's service. We really have a hands-on service. It's, uh, I, you know, with my New York Life days, with working at Bailey's, I'm a salesman in my DNA. So it's a pretty cool sell when I walk into a furniture store myself as the CEO and founder of Zoe Financial to walk into a top 100 furniture store and say, hi, I'm here. I understand your market more than any of my competitors that out there. And I specifically built my product to help you sell more sofas to people, right? You know, so there's that market differentiator there. But then the way, you know, just kind of saying uh, piggybacking on what you said about fintechs is that. Right now, there's so many fintechs that are just slightly off of each other yep. that there's massive opportunity to go to a fintech that says, hey, you offer a product slightly different than mine. What if we integrate mm-hmm. and become one? And what that ends up setting up the conversation for as well, should I just soak you into my world and we actually buy you or the same vice versa? Do they buy us, right? And things like that. So there's a lot of those comp- uh, conversations happening. All of our competitors, every single one of our competitors over the last five years was bought at a minimum of 12x multiple. Right. We won't get that because that whole kind of, like you said, that that two, three, four years ago, the fintech buzzword and coming out of the that 2009 crash all the way through last year, or call it two years ago, was incredible growth, right? Mm-hmm. So everybody's getting great valuations. We won't get anything like that. But um, we're positioned very well with what we're building and the proprietary nature of our software 
that integrating with big players in different ways is going to be pretty cool as we go forward. Yeah. So uh, talk about growth, right? You were telling me earlier, like you guys have been here two years or two, three years, I guess. We're just at the three year mark. Yeah. yeah. Three years. Uh, You guys have had some insane growth, especially from founder. Like there's always that little bit of a, like a unique challenge, right? Founded in Alaska, but now world, right? Because you have people across just even Alaska and you, the U S talk to me about that growth and what that growth has been like. What's some of the challenges, what's some of the the exciting things that have come from that? Yeah. Yeah. No growth. Um, Growth is good, um, but you have to be prepared for it. Um, we were not prepared for how fast and how big some of our growth was. So like to, the quick story is we bought our business license on February 26th of 2020, right amidst the, the core of the COVID time, right? We built software from May through January of 2021, and, and that's when we went live. So when we went live at that point, we were doing – $10,000 a month in leases generated, not, not huge amount, but business. Right. And we did, we grew it up to about $40,000 a month by the time we got to October of 2021. Right. So when, once we got to October, we went down and, uh, at that point, I think, I, you know, I think we had maybe, uh, $150,000 in our account, right. To cover, cover payroll and all the things and leases going out the door. And either way, I was going, I need to go raise some capital because I can see what's where we're going. Well, I go down to Houston, Texas, which is the number one LTO market in the United States. And I just had no clue what was coming. No clue what was coming. So we had a big uh, change in our software, uh, kind of long story there, but we cha- had a big integration change in our software. And at that same time, I brought on one of the highest producing furniture stores in Houston um, in kind of the mid to mid to low tier market of consumers. Right. And we went from in August we did or sorry, September, we did thirty nine thousand dollars of leases generated. Um, So that's dollars out the door. Right. That we put out in leases. And then we did eight hundred and thirty four thousand dollars in October. And then in November, we did 950,000. And December, we did 1.1 million. And then by the time we got to January, I think we did 1.8 million. And then we did 2 million in February and 2.5 million in March. (laughs) I mean, that is how fast that went. And the entire time was me just trying to find anywhere that we could raise money. Raise, 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 raise money. So... We were not ready for that growth. Um, we weren't ready for any of that, and we survived it. We survived it pretty well. But man, if our if our growth curve had been even just half of what it was, right? You know, jump from fifty to one hundred and fifty thousand dollars, one hundred and fifty thousand dollars to two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Those would have been healthy growth right. growth curve. Um, we were clearly an unhealthy growth curve, and what we didn't know at the time is that Experian. <laughs> made a very big mistake in our uh, our um, technology that uh, that was very, very costly to the point where we had almost 40% defaults in our system. It was tough. So we ended up having to go and hit the brakes massively on a lot of things and go back to the drawing board, change a lot of the way that we did things, uh, fix the integration, do all sorts of things. So it was tough, very, yeah. very, very tough. 
So in that brief few months, you know, how many employees, what was your size of your team? Where were you? Were you all here in Alaska? And then just even like, talk to me what it took to scale with that growth. Yeah. So in October of 2021, I think we had six total employees, maybe, maybe seven. By the time we got to March of 2021, we were up to 17, maybe 20 employees. So three X employees in, in five months. Yep. Yep. So then by the time we got to April, we had gone from 200, 2.5 million of lease generation down to, I want to say in April, we did like 400,000 and then it went down even further after that. Right. And that was you intentionally pumping the brakes based on cash. Well, yeah. So we were, we were growing so fast. We were trying to get to a point where we could close a, a very large line of credit because in my world, my inventory is cash. If I have cash, I can go lend it out to people that allows us to make money back on that cash, right? So that's that's what I'm always searching for is I need to find inventory that I can sell and that's my inventory's cash. So we had gone after a very, very sizable line of credit and we are moving through the processes of getting it done. And uh, that's when in March they approached us and said, hey, uh, there's something going on in your data tape here and we're seeing that you've got north of 35% default rates and that's not pretty, we can't do a loan on that. We're going, okay. All right. So we legitimately ran out of money at the end of March. So what that all that meant for me was that I still had revenues, a large amount of revenues coming in, but I didn't have money for new lease generation. So we had to, for a short time period, I mean, when I say a short time period, it was like two or three weeks. We could not pay our retailers. Right. Right. Because I'm supposed to advance money to the retailers. And that is one way to breed very, very, very heavy mistrust with all of your retailers. So it was very, very difficult. I mean, we're knocking on the door of bankruptcy very, very quickly. So we went and by the grace of God, we were able to find a very sizable investor or two or three to keep us moving. We got some unsecured debt to come alongside of us and several pieces. And, you know, rather than completely shuttering the business or shutting us down to nothing, we almost doubled down on that and said, you know what? We know we've got something good here. That's why all of these guys want to work with us. It's just in this piece of our technology that we have to fix and we're in good shape. So anyhow, we we continued to stay the course, brought on investors, and all through the rest of 2022 has been, you know, survival of the fittest, getting your model right, making sure technology works right. We actually built out our own proprietary software. So out of the gate, again, we went the cheap route because we didn't know what we were doing and said, hey, we're going to go buy a software and just see if we can have them tweak it to do what we want it to do. But that becomes non-scalable because you don't own it. You can't change it. Every time you want to change something or update something, it's a $30,000 bill. It's all sorts of different things. So Alan, one of our founding members said, you know what, guys, let me do it. Let me go build a software. I know I can do it. So we did it. And uh, that went live in August of last year. And ever since that change, our our what we call our paper that we've been putting out, there's just been getting better and better and better and better and better. So we're hopefully a couple weeks out right now from closing a very large line of credit again, almost like a cut and paste from one year ago yeah. <laughs> where we're at. And all of us are looking around, looking at all the boxes to check going, hey, I, I think we're there. I think we've got it this time, right. <laughs> you know, so where's the, where's the motivation come you know as you explain you know the the experience situation the the growth the current times 
personal, right? The the home situation, the the strain strain on the family. Where's the motivation come from for you to just like press forward, double down at a time when you got to kind of make a decision, right? Like, do we keep going to this? Do we kind of like, you know, cut losses? But you're like, no, double down. Where's that come from in you? Um, that's a good, good question. So one, it comes from my faith. Um, you know, mm-hmm. we're, we're, we're Bible believing Christians in our home and our founding owners. That's one of our core tenets of how we run our business. And, uh, you know, I've got faith that what we're building has value out there. You know, right now we've got uh, today, I want to say between our, our, our 15 person dev team in India, all of our sales team and our W2 employees, we're at like 50 or 55 people that are taking a paycheck from us, right? So I feel like as the leader of this company and the founder that had this idea from the get-go is that I owe it to those guys to continue making sure that this thing's successful because that's what I committed to and I'm a commitment guy from that. So the other portion of that is the fact that I'm a huge advocate of team sports. I was just had a long conversation yesterday with a guy about this on the value of team sports and youth because it teaches you to never quit, never give up. Um, the mutual accountability of having a team, having a coach you're responsible to and everybody. And, you know, I just I definitely know that if my, my wife was saying that she goes, well, I'll tell you this, even if you make a lot of mistakes along the way there's one thing that i can to say without doubt is you don't give up and you know i don't know maybe in some things in life that's to your own detriment but you know right but um but i definitely don't give up i think people in today's world give up way too easy on things and say oh there's a, there's an option b you've heard of them saying hey burn the ships behind you right mm-hmm. continue to burn the ships because there's no option b you're just going to go and make it work and i'm i'm very very big on that there was twice at the end of 2021 there's two numbers i'll never ever ever forget in my in my life is one evening we had $2,813 left in our operating account and I had $30,000 of payroll the next day. And then the other time was there was $3,215 the next day we had payroll. And both times I was in tears with my wife sitting right there going, honey, I don't, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow when we get up. And I am not kidding you. Both times I got a text once from an investor that was one of our founding partners saying, Hey, I saw the bank account. I'm ready to transfer 300,000. If you need me to do that right now. And I said, yes, <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> you know? And so he makes that happen for us. And then the other time, uh, same thing. I get a text from one guy that had already loaned us money and we had already, you know, we'd been talking about it with them and, and uh, he texts me and goes, hey, I'm ready to transfer money whenever you want tomorrow. Just let me know. And same thing. I mean, we're just talking about what, it, you know, we talk about as God things, little things that that you just can't put a finger on why they happen when they do and mm-hmm. the timing of it. And we've had a lot of those things happen throughout the time of building our company that, um, you know, I can only give credit to the Lord for for keeping us going and to our team for just not quitting either. You know, yep. so, um, yeah, it's easy, especially for people when they're listening in, you hear the millions and this and that, and, you know, and th- sometimes people put that on a pedestal, but like you, I want to go back to something when you said 
you're a man of faith, you believe in the good you're doing, you know, will you kind of like speak to, okay, obviously 50 employees and and them getting their, their paycheck so they can feed their families. That's good too. But the service that you're also providing, like you kind of told me about like the car situation, can you kind of speak to the, the motivation behind the good you're doing in generating all this lease to own business? Yeah. Yeah. So we, in the lease to own space, you have the potential to be highly scrutinized, right? You know, totally. it's taking advantage of people. It's too high cost. It's all sorts of different things. But, you know, what a lot of people don't know is how many different discount programs that we have to make it very affordable on people. The fact that you can report to credit and make sure that people are building their credit, you know, and we're building out a platform that we want to have a single ecosystem where Somebody comes in at a low credit score and throughout the time that they're in my ecosystem, they start with an LTO product that's going to help build their credit. And then they advance to a mid-tier credit product or a buy now, pay later or something, or maybe even our own banking platform that we're building out. And continues to grow from there to where I can go to a regulator, I can go to people and say, hey, look, over the last 10 years, we've taken 42% of our clientele, moved them away from LTO and up to a a successful life where they even have savings. Like this is the deposits we have in our banking side that are all from these clientele that they only had $29 to put down on a sofa today. That's pretty cool, right? So that's that's our long-term vision of what we want to build out. And that either comes in building our own products or like we were talking about earlier is integrating in other products that add value to our consumer today. Yeah, I mean, I was going to ask later about vision, but that is absolutely it. So just going from you know generating a loan to actually building credit, learning and changing spending habits, growing income, and then being able to not have to lease something. They're probably going to just be able to buy something based on the financial mm-hmm. system. That's mm-hmm. that's incredible. I love that. I love that. Totally random, but I mean, I'm huge into documentaries. A lot of people know that that follow me. That's probably where I, if I were to consume something online. Have you heard of the Netflix documentary, Dirty Money? Uh, yes, I have. Did you yeah. watch it? I don't No, I haven't yeah, seen it. It is incredible one. It's a little series ones. And it, I'm not saying that you're this at all, but it was, it's something that's quite interesting is, is there was one of the dirty monies was, um, uh, quick cash now, quick loans, mm-hmm. quick payday loans, payday loans. Right. Yeah. And that's not this space, but it's like, it's that same type of model, right? Where it's money's going out, they're getting a benefit. Then you have to collect on that. And then going from there, I would love to know, you know, based on all the different sectors, sales, collection, service, you know, what are some of the, the departments that have been the biggest challenge for you guys in this growth? Um, Access to capital is yep. the big is the single biggest challenge. And then, um, you know, when I started out this business, I knew I knew a sales channel of how we could get it out there. I knew how to price the product. But if somebody came in the door and said, "Well, I have a credit score of X and income of Y." I don't know what to say yes or no to. I have no clue. I've never been a risk guy in my life. So that's been our single greatest challenge is because my consumer that's working with me is unbanked. They're immigrants. They're, um, uh, They're lower income. And it is difficult 
to figure out who is who to say yes or say no to and why, right? You know, your traditional, if you were to go in today and get a mortgage, you know how that goes. They say, all right, give me, uh, you know, two years bank statements or, you know, two years uh, tax, tax. Yep. six months bank statements, you know, all of that stuff. You get so much. But then if you were to go online right now and, and fill out an application for Klarna, Right. What they're going to do is they're going to ask you for your phone number, the last four of your social and the last known address. That's all they're asking for you from you. They're sending that off to Experian, TransUnion, whoever. They're getting your AT&T records because all of those are reported to Experian, whether we know it or not. And they're saying, hey, we were able to verify this guy in nine different ways. And we verified that he hasn't had anything late over here. We're going to offer him fifteen hundred dollars. To, to go on any of that stuff, right? So you're you're potentially sitting, saying yes or no to somebody that you will never meet in your entire life. You'll never see the whites of their eyes. They'll never send you a bank statement. I'm trying to figure out how to say yes or no to them. And then, so I go down to all of the, uh, the big FinTech conferences that are going on now, and it is scary what people are able to do because a lot of... Um, Companies like mine are actually getting into facial recognition mm. where you can, you can in the application, have somebody say, hey, take a selfie, and it will face verify against federal records, all this different stuff. So there's scary pieces to that where my consumers, a lot of my consumers are saying, forget that. I'm not doing that, right. giving you my face, right? And, and so we haven't implemented any of that. But there was a two-hour seminar at the last FinTech conference I went to where they were talking about how people are literally – making masks so they have their own facial recognition software they'll find a picture of you on facebook or a bunch of them from your facebook right they'll bring it over into their software and they will make a mask of you and then buy your data on the black market and then they can actually go through and pretend to be you to go steal your identity and that's what you're up against in our world right now. So the biggest challenge, 100%, is twofold, is finding capital to make sure I have the inventory to put out. And then number two is just making sure that in an advancing technological world, we can say yes or no to the right people all right. the time. No, that makes total sense, the risk of that and then being able to go from there. I just, I can't imagine. So, you know, talk to me through, um, you know, your team, right? Because that's an incredible thing. I love growing. I love coaching. I love leading people. I'm same as you, huge sports guy myself, love team sports, still practice team sports. I'm playing in volleyball Saturday and Sunday. I know you're a basketball guy. Uh, you know, people that tend to not make it in basketball go to volleyball is how that works out. <laughs> but, uh, you know, talk to me about the, the the team, right? You have a whole bunch of dev team in India. Like, how do you guys communicate? How do you guys stay communicated? So like things aren't assumed. So balls are dropped. How do you solve problems via Zoom? Like talk to me some, through some of that from a leadership yeah. standpoint. Yeah, that's, uh, that is a, a significant challenge that I think we've done a good job of, but it's not easy right. any day. You know, we have the core of our leadership team is in Alaska, Utah and Illinois right now, right? And Washington, right? So you're crossing three, four time zones, right? Is where we're just at. for leadership. Just for our leadership team. And how many right people now. are in your leadership team? Um so one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine people. So of the nine, mm. five of them are in Alaska, right? Okay. And then we got another four that are across between uh, uh Washington, Utah, and Illinois. 
Um, you know, so we we communicate a lot. We use Teams, uh, mm-hmm. Office 365 for, for everything that we're doing. So there's a lot of Teams conversations going on all the time that are, you know, the equivalent to texting back and forth, yep. but in groups. We have weekly managers meetings. And, uh, you know, one of the things for me early on to understand is that, you know, um, a lot of generations before us and actually a lot of one trick, uh, not, that's not the right way to say that, but a lot of guys that are one man shows, right? So like when I was at New York life, there's nobody else that's going to build my business, but me, like, that's just how it is, right? It falls on you. You're going to go do it. You're going to be the person doing the calling, doing all of the meetings, doing all the paperwork, doing everything until you can grow your business to a certain point to, you know, hire this position or that position, but it's always going to fall on you to build a scalable business. Any business owner out there needs to understand that they will be the number one limitation to their own business. If they think they have to do everything themselves, percent. if they think they have to have all pieces of knowledge. And that took me a little bit of a while, right? Because I watched my father build a wildly successful business And he, for a very long time, was the only guy with all the answers, right? He still has all of the best answers for everything, but it took a long time to build that team to a point where, man, I've got a general manager that can step in and he knows my heart, my mind, my decisions, how I think about things. I've got my CFO that does this and knows exactly what I need of him or her. We've got all of these different pieces. So we were just fortunate enough and maybe not fortunate enough, but you know, made the hard decisions that we were progressing fast enough that we said, hey, we need a CFO. We are a money business. We need somebody that can make sure that money moves right. We found a CFO. Um, you know, we found uh, a guy that runs our national sales team, right? And I give him some of my input, my vision, because I know furniture really well, but he takes everything from a sales perspective, what we're doing and runs with it. Our CTO, our our technology officer, um, you know, I kind of tell him the direction I want to go with our software and he takes that and runs with it because he has all the know-how from a technological standpoint of how to do it. All I know is when I click into my app on my phone, this is what I want it to look like, right? (laughs) Right? So you have to have a level of trust with your team and make the right hires to get there. What we are fortunate enough is that we've had the capital behind us to hire those. That's what's difficult for somebody is, is to find those right people that can still do it at a low enough salary, call it out of the gate, where where you can actually hire that person makes it very, very difficult. So, you know, even then, you know, we've had to in some of our contracts with hiring people, we can't pay enough. So you have to add equity kickers, right? right. Options for the future, different things like that and getting creative and how can I get this person to come in when they could go somewhere else and make a two hundred fifty to three hundred thousand dollar a year salary, and I'm telling them they're going to get paid a hundred, right, <laughs> right, and and trying to figure out how that person's going to be excited about yeah. what we're building, and and you know, uh, you know, the Lord's been good to us and bringing really, really, really yeah. good people to the table. You know, in most startups. 12 months later after the start of your business or 12, 24 months, I mean, you typically have a hundred plus percent turnover of who's been there and who's gone at this point. And on our leadership team, we've lost one Mm -hmm. in, in three years. Right. And we've just been very, very, very blessed to have good people come along us at the right time 
that have been in it to win it, you know? Yeah. So that's, so, you know, going back to what you were saying though, you know, managing that time, what I've had to be is very, very intentional about spending time with each manager. And when we do spend time together, it's typically not always just business. We do spend time talking business, but we spend time talking about their families. What do they value in life and the direction that they want to go with their finances and things like that. And trying to make sure that if I've got somebody that's 5,000 miles away from me, they still feel like they're sitting next to me and we have a relationship and they're not a number on a page to me or the business. Um, so I think protecting that and and I say all of that and I'm learning just as much as the next guy that I'm not always that intentional, right? I mean, we've been running hard for mm-hmm. three years on this thing. I mean, really, really, really hard. And if I had to just give you kind of where my head and my heart's at today is I'm just tired. And, you know, it's funny, like I, when we started this business, you know, I'm going, yeah, I got 20 years in me of this. We're going to build this thing up and run. I absolutely understand how entrepreneurs, serial entrepreneurs build up a product for five years to sell it and walk away and then go take a year break because mm-hmm. it is tough. Right. Yep. Um, but you know, we've been, we've been very fortunate to get to where we're at today and it's all because of the team that we have. And you know, what I tell our guys all the time is, Hey, do you have everything you need to do your job? Well, because i I didn't hire somebody to be another me. I hired them to be them. And what my job is, is to help bring out the best in that person that's across there. I don't want to change them, right? I just need them to be the best that they can be. Am I giving you the support? Do you feel heard? Do you feel like you have the the tools to do your job well? And, uh, you know, do you have a leash to go do it? You know, so anyways. I always tell managers and leaders like 70 plus 70 is 140 and it's always better than 100, right? Like thinking about mm-hmm. your dad or like talking about how like understanding that you can only do 100, right? And I think a lot of leaders that they think that they can do it all, they don't understand that if they get two people that do it 70% of what you do it, you can then now do 140, yeah. right? Which is so much more than you could ever do. Mm-hmm. And then that continues to add up over time. It's it's just, it's interesting. I'm curious on what your perspective is on the timing, right? Because, you know, economically our time is weird right now. Like Facebook, 10,000 more hot, like, you know, layoffs right now. And I'm seeing it because we work in a remote environment where we can put out public positions and you get like, hundreds of applications right we're looking for a new content writer for websites we posted the position and in 24 hours i mean to an extent right (laughs) but uh you got to have someone that edits it right no matter how great chat gpd is you can never have it be that 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 final expertise kind of a thing and but still so we put out a position and we had 350 qualified candidates 24 hours Right. Like that's insane. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, I remember we did a CMO. We were looking for a new CMO and it was like MIT's CMO of like 10 years applied for the position. I'm like, this is a huge position. You're coming to like a little marketing agency. And I just find that the timing right now is interesting. So I don't know if you're finding the same thing. And as you guys are growing and you guys are putting out national applications for things, are you guys finding that level of talent too? Yeah. Yeah. Same. We're running into all the same things there for sure. Um, you know, for us, a lot of our scaling of our workforces 
in Alaska physically here, right? We don't have a ton of remote positions unless they're sales positions. Um, but, you know, for example, we've got one pretty important position that we're putting out right now that we're very, very excited about because you're absolutely right. There's a lot of available talent out there right now. And we think that right now is going to give us probably a pretty dang good candidate that's going to come through the door. And that's, that's encouraging. That's yeah. exciting, you know? So, um, yeah, no, I agree. How do you, what are some things that you do like for important for you and your company and your leadership from the recruiting standpoint? You know, what are some of the things that you do to stand out? How do you guys go about it? Cause I have found that to be, in my opinion, one of the most challenging things of a growing company is how do you continue to safeguard the culture and grow what you're doing while recruiting? Because that's an important thing. A bad egg coming in can hurt good employees way worse than the bad employee and then having to get rid of them. Yeah. And that, that comes back to everything trickles down from the top Mm -hmm. always. Right. So I, you know, when we very first started out, me and my general manager were working together and it was he and I every day talking to our six employees. Mm-hmm. Boy, the culture was incredible. Right. Always at every time. Right. And the more layers of management that have to come in to do different things, you have that separation. So my job as the leader and visionary of this company is to ensure that my direct reports, my CFO, my COO, my uh Uh, my risk director, my compliance manager, all of the different people get the best from me because I am not going to be the one sitting in there hiring an entry-level employee that's going to be on the phones all day. I'm not going to be that person. I just don't get to as much as I would love to. So I have to do a really good job of protecting my culture with my management team and my leadership team because that relationship that I have with them and I expect with them is what I have to expect them to move on to that next level of employee down that I may or may not ever get to t- a chance to talk to. So it's a challenge, especially as fast as we've grown. Man, we are just hiring, hiring, hiring. And coming out of COVID, w- it was tough to hire. I mean, the 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 workforce had changed mm-hmm. big time. I mean, what people want and require to uh, to even show up. Right. It was was difficult. So I think there's a good shift that's happening right now is that you've got really wonderful workforce that's available and there's a lot of them. So you can kind of require a little bit more as well, saying, hey, this these are non-negotiables in our world that we're not going to allow. These are things that we expect out of our employees every single day. And I think just making sure that it starts from the top, everybody, it's just like a parent talking to their children. If you tell a child over and over and over and over and over, don't do this, do this, but you are doing what you're telling them not to do, they're going to end up doing what you do, right? So you have to practice what you preach. If you're going to be telling your team that you want to have a high level of culture, um, you know, the things that we talk about every single day is, is that we drive through our business specifically is humble and selfless, right? Mm-hmm. If you were to boil down anything in the world that's going to kind of boil down to the good things of the world, is it, am I being humble or am I being prideful and am I being selfish or am I being selfless, right? So we talk about that with our employees all the time is that in any interaction that I have with another employee is the communication I have with them, am I being 
humble in how I'm communicating with them? And I am I being selfless in I want what's best for them while they're working here, right? We want every single employee. So Zoe means to live. It's a Greek word that means to live. Mm. So part of our mantra that we talk about is our retailers, consumers, and employees, all of them, we want to, we're on a mission to help them live their best lives. Consumers, we're trying to give out really good loans that'll help them move forward, grow their credit, live their best life, getting the things that they need. Retailers, trying to help them grow their sales so they have a successful business, by and large, helping them uh, grow their business, offer more jobs, have a successful business. And our employees, and I want to see them have a really good job in a growing company where they can have a growing salary. We've got a 401k, we've got a health plan, all the things for them to be successful in their life. So, so we talk about that all the time is saying, Hey, is your, my communication with you helping you live your best life by me being humble and selfless in that. Right. And that should be expected in return as well. So yeah. Yeah. I love, I love that. You know, I love being able to have values as a company where it gets to put your people first, especially when you start to have that multiply as the team grows and you get to see your team members doing it to others. It's just a really gratifying thing as a leader, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, like right now, a lot of what we're talking about with our employees is accountability, right? Mm -hmm. So the first year and a half of our business was pretty easy. I mean, if you showed up to our business, we're building software and we're just getting off the ground moving, you know, it was a pretty fun environment where there wasn't so much to get done in a day that, I mean, we, we got to mess around and play dodgeball at the office right. or go outside and barbecue because it's a nice afternoon. We don't have a ton of calls coming in or whatever, right? Well, we're having this shift where every single day, every person that walks in the door has a laundry list of things they need to get done for us to be successful and to move this business forward. So trying to protect um, the fun aspect of everybody coming to to the office, but having accountability at the same time, right? A lot of times people in our world mistake accountability for people just being jerks, right? right? When it's not the case, accountability is so healthy mm -hmm. because being held accountable is the only way I'm going to progress to be a better person, a smarter businessman, a more productive husband, father, any of that stuff, right? Mm. So accountability just has to be done the right way, right. right? And that accountability comes from, am I being selfless and humble in saying, how can I help Ken be a better person? Right. How can I help Ken be better at his craft, right? And that's where accountability comes in the right way. Yeah. And I have found for a lot of people, because I know I talk a lot about accountability, you set me up so many ways because I, I, I focus and gripe on this so hard because it's about the other person really, like doing the best by them, right? And you do that no better way than living in that out, right? Mm -hmm. Allowing your team members to hold you accountable, right? Because I know as an owner, I drop balls, right? I've always used spinning plates, right? And I give my team the full ability to hold me accountable and then be humble in that moment, right? And be grateful for it. And then you can reciprocate it back to the employee when they're having a hard time or that, in that situation. And it just creates such a great culture. And I love yeah. that you brought that up. It's funny. We, we, I don't know. This is maybe a month ago. It was pretty recently. Um, there was some, some issue going on and, uh, we had our managers meeting and I got on and I said, Hey guys, let, let me just start today with an apology to all of you guys. So we, and I can't remember exactly what it was for, but it was a portion of me saying, Hey, I need to, I need to come to the table on this as well. And this is something that we all need to do different. And man, I can't remember if it was an email, the way that we email communicate or whatever it was. 
And all of a sudden, the moment that I made that first step out in vulnerability to say, hey, I apologize. I'm going to do better at this as we go forward in this way. And all of a sudden, man, you got another manager stepping in saying, hey, you know what? I was thinking that I could do this differently. And all of a sudden, you got 20 minutes of just awesome conversation right. with all of our management team being vulnerable with each other saying, hey, I'm going to do this better. Hey, I could support you better and all of that. Right. So yeah. And it just always starts with us. Mm -hmm. Right. I love always. that. So when you talked about accountability too, you brought up something that I do love to get into is, is like, how do you manage everything you're doing and then still be a husband, be a, you know, a father? Those are, those are hard challenges in running a business. And I know that it comes with, you know, sacrifices and gives and takes, but I love to hear your perspective on, you know, how, how do you juggle those? Yeah. Um, I think my, well, I'll leave, I'll leave my advice for the end, the end question. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, um, uh, you know, it, it, and hit or miss, I guess is my answer to that. Okay. Right. Sometimes I feel like I do it really, really well. Like right now, today, I think I'm doing it very, very well. Give you a great example. My daughter just finished her first year of high school basketball. Um, she was on, on the JV team, didn't play it a ton and she came out of it super frustrated going, dad, I, I, I am so frustrated. I don't want to be on JV anymore. I don't want to just sit the bench the rest of my career. I want to be, be a good basketball player. And I said, well, um, the best way to not sit on the bench the rest of your basketball career is get so good that your coach can't afford to have you there. Mm -hmm. That's how you do it. How do you get really good? She goes, be in the gym. I said, exactly. So you and I got to get in the gym and I can help you get there. I played high level basketball. I played a lot of it, but it's, I can't do it for you. I can show you how to do it and then you got to go do it. So we're two and a half weeks in right now on her doing a 10,000 shot club where she has to make 10,000 shots. So she's 2,700 shots in as of today and just flat out crushing it. And what we had to do is I had to tell my team that, hey, I am in it to win it from 7 a.m. to 2 p.m. But when my daughter gets off school, just so you guys know, I'm out of here. Yeah. <laughs> and I've been doing that for two and a half weeks. And lo and behold, I get done with my day and they still don't have things for me to do. You know what I'm saying? My team mm -hmm. is picking up where they need me to and making sure that that's done. So hey, if I were to back up maybe six months ago, there were times where I was getting to the office at 6.30 in the morning, probably not coming home till 6.30 or 7 at night. And it was probably for a couple different things as I'm so stressed out. I really don't want to go home and hear kids yelling at each other and go do all that kind of stuff. So maybe even just stick at the office a little longer. Or I already know my wife's frustrated at me for being here all day long, and I'm just going to probably stay quiet and all that stuff, you know. And as you're balancing that stress and learning to do things better, um, you know, sometimes you're good at it and sometimes you don't. It's it's just like anything in life. You are not going to be perfectly uh, uh, good at everything all day. Right. Yeah. So where that, where, where that kind of comes full circle is any business owner. It, it doesn't matter who, I mean, anybody, but you know, we're talking business owners a lot. Business owners need to have support systems. Mm -hmm. They need to have somebody that understands their world intimately to be able to be that accountability partner that says, Hey, uh, how's you, how are you and your marriage mm -hmm. through all of this? Right. So, I mean, we've experienced, 
the top of the mountain to the bottom of the valley in this business so far. And it was really interesting. It was about four months ago. Man, we're just we're just running hard, trying to survive, trying to do all this different stuff. We're we're at a point where either we're gonna raise this capital to keep us moving, or I have to lay off over half of my employees. And I it has to happen in seven days. And by the grace of God, God thing, all of a sudden I get a text message from one of our investors on Friday on this Friday, and he says, Hey, I'm ready to give you guys five million. I've got five million for you. And I'm like, oh my. I can't even believe that, right? So right before all of that, man, I've stressed. And I'm not I'm not one to, I don't know, sugarcoat things. Like I have been in tears more over the last couple years of this because of how hard it's been than at any time in my life mm-hmm. at all. And anyhow, so this one-week period, none of these guys talk to each other. But I had three different guys over a span of a one-week period as we were just going through a bunch. Then different conversations say, hey, how are you and Heather doing through all of this? Right? Me and my wife. And I'm going, how amazing is that, that I have men in my life that yeah. that they're not just thinking, hey, how's your bottom line? Are you making money? Are you you hitting all your bogeys? Their first question is actually, eh, you've got the business side covered. We're not worried about that. How are you and your wife? Right. How are you and God? Right? Are you guys you guys making that work? So it's it's a challenge, no doubt. I mean, me and my wife would love to make more money. We'd love to buy a home again. We'd love to do a lot of different things, but you know, it's all part of the process of building a business and making sure that you're thinking far ahead versus just right now, because your emotions of today will absolutely rob you of your long term if you're not careful. Yeah. Right, so, yeah, I always use the phrase a lot in social and stuff is like this too shall pass, right? Like no yeah. matter it, 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 it's also for like the positive. I don't. I think that's the other thing is it's like the the mountaintop. This too shall pass, right? Like mm-hmm. you are going to go back out in a valley and being able to work on your relationship, your communication, your mindset. Those things allow you to weather those storms better, right? Yep. Because I can tell you that in our relationship, when we were at our bottom, you know, you don't know my story deeply, but in a period of six months, we lost 97% of our income like that. Yep. And uh, my wife hadn't worked up to that time in f- four years. So she didn't have a job. I didn't have a job. I was like, I'm going to clean gutters. I'm going to like, you know, plow driveways, whatever it's going to take to get, you know, yep. you know, put food on the table. And I know that our ability to just work on the communication piece through that was what would get us to be able to get to where we are now. And then just being humble and grateful in the moment allows when you do get to the bat of another side to be able to be in the right frame of mindset. Cause you yep. can get very victim, you can get very negative and that doesn't help anything, unfortunately, yep. you know? Yep, absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, just intentionality mm-hmm. is uh, probably an uh, underutilized term from a standpoint of it's one thing to say, I read self-help books or it's one thing to say, I go to the gym, but being intentional about making sure that if I'm going to read a book, I'm not just trying to get through it. I'm trying to take something from it. If I'm going to spend, point is, if I'm going to spend time with my wife and my kids, I need to make sure my phone isn't in front of my face. I'm going to actually be intentional about that time together. So that's that's kind of what I've been working on, doing better of is actually um, calendaring when I am 
not in work mode because mm-hmm. I have two very specific different modes in my mind. And I don't know if that's like a male thing of compartmentalizing or if it's just me, but when I get in work mode, man, I'm a one track mind of being in visionary and being creative, being problem solving, being all that different stuff. And that's like, have you, have you ever seen the video? It's not about the nail. Mm-mm. You've never seen it. Okay. No. I'm going to share it with you after all this, right. but you know, it's, it's, it's this spoof video and, you know, this guy's sitting with his wife and she's going, you know, I just don't know. There's this pressure and I just don't know what's going on. And then she turns her head to look at him. It's like over their shoulders and she's got a huge nail out of her head. And he goes, well, you do know there's a nail sticking in your head. And she goes, you always do that. You're always trying to fix everything. Right. When sometimes our wives just need us to listen. Right. right? Oh, 100%. So, so I have to be very careful that when I'm in work mode and I'm in fix it mode and I'm in build mode and and be problem solver mode, if I go home and my wife's just going, ah, I had a tough conversation with my friend today and I'm going, well, this is a really easy fix. You just do this, 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 and this, and it's all fixed. And she's just going, you just need to shut up right now. Oh yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. So being able to be intentional about if you're going to clock out from work, cause it's now family time. Yep. Like I got to switch into a different gear of my mind to make sure that I'm now loving father to a 15 year old daughter. That's emotional, hormonal, changing, going through all of the high school things that all of us went through. Right. So, um, intentionality is key that I think uh, kind of full circle to what you originally asked is, is what I'm trying to make sure that I am today, because we've been going at a breakneck pace for a long time and trying to just slow down and say, okay, so the business is going to take care of itself. What I don't want to do, I told this to one of my buddies here recently, was that out of all of this, the last thing I want to do is have this successful business that's worth millions of dollars. And maybe it pays me millions of dollars. I don't know. But lose my wife, lose the relationship with my kids, lose any of that. That I'm not willing to do and won't ever be willing to do. Yeah, I say you can't be a public success, but a private failure. Yeah. Right. And I, and that was a realization that I made with Chelsea just a couple of years ago during that time was like, I will compromise more success to have a better family life and be a present father, like yeah. period and end of story. And the minute that I made that conviction, it was almost amazing how much better business got and how much better family got. Right. And Mm -hmm. nothing else changed other than in my mind, I knew that that was okay because there was a long time as a younger guy, like trying to make a name for myself, being in a sales world, crushing it knowing the income potentials and knowing like the sacrifice it would take to get to those next levels wasn't worth it to me for that same reason. I do. I a hundred percent resonate with that. Yep. Yeah. And, and everybody has their runway, so to speak. Right. So in a very, very scalable business, um, that we really are at some point, there is a better CEO out there than me. Correct. And, and, and likely it, we're already at that part, but we can't afford it either. Nope. Right. So, you, you know, for a while you have to do things to make sure that you're successful to where you can get to that point. But, you know, uh, on the on the path of what you're saying there is my personal goal is to become the CRO of our our uh, um, our company. And that's not revenue officer. That's the chief relationship officer. I want to take a step back from the CEO once my runway runs out and we find somebody that says, hey, I am really looking forward to taking on this challenge of running this company at a national level and taking us to a different place. I want them to do that. And I want to go figure out how do people tick? 
Mm-hmm. How do I make sure that from a cultural standpoint, we get Zoe Financial in Inc.'s top 100 places to work in the United States? How do I get on that list? Mm-hmm. That is what I would love to see someday for our company. Keller Williams was like number two or three on Inc.'s 100 list of yep. best places to work. If they can do it, I can do it. Right. I mean, right. There's no difference out nope. there in all of these things. There's something in their culture. So I want to get to that point where where I can say, hey, this is my job that I go do to love on people and to help them develop and become better people. But I am going to step away and I'm going to go love on my family at that same time, you know, so. Yeah, no, that's, it's absolutely true. The people that build a company from one to five and five to 25, it's just different, right? And being able to have that long vision mindset of that is going to benefit Zoe exponentially, you know. So let's get with this. So it's one of my favorite things. First, you know, you've said it a lot, so I'm only guessing that you are. And I, I want to know this is, you know, what's what's a top read for you that you know? Because it seems like you're a reader, right? It seems like you've invested in that. Maybe you're not. I don't know. But you've I, you've, you've said I, reading a handful of times. I hate reading. Right. I have to force myself to do it. And you know, when I'm looking at, um, you know, trying to educate myself on a national level, like we were talking about it upstairs earlier, was that that. Um, you know, I am literally, my competitors are doing two and $3 billion a year. Like right. that's who I'm up against. And I have to assume that their education level is so much further than mine. Right. So for me, I have to force myself to either listen to things or read things and make sure that I'm constantly uh, improving there. Um, so, I mean, you know, Atomic Habits is a yep. wonderful read. James Clear, right? Yeah. I think. Yep. yep. We we've been reading a lot as a team. Patrick Lencioni stuff. Yep. Um, five dysfunctions of a team. Five dysfunctions yep. of a team is so good. We yep. did that one, and then the uh, one I read. It's the five mistakes of a CEO. Mm. <laughs> really, really, really good one. Um, so anyhow, those anything Patrick Lencioni is just really, really, really good, and then. Uh, you know, I've I was actually just telling a friend of mine yesterday. I've never been a podcaster. I don't mm-hmm. listen to any podcasts at all. But I'd like to start getting into some more podcasts. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah I honestly can't re- refer many podcasts either because uh, I don't listen to a lot of podcasts. But I love the conversation, right? Sure. So I mean, that I mean, maybe I'll lose a couple of listeners here because that's the case. But um, I just love the conversation. I love the engagement, and I love the the power that the platform does have, right? Mm-hmm. So awesome. So single best piece of advice that you've ever been given, man. I've got a lot of advice. Yeah, there's been a lot of good nuggets in this one so far. <laughs> I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with a good one. My my good buddy Tyson Croon told me is we man I th- I could have sworn that we we're gonna go bankrupt. We we're just right there, and I'm like, man, I am the one that's most liable for this entire thing. If this thing goes down, it's me. That's right. that's a part of my legacy because I've got a lot of big names in Alaska that have invested in this. And I was just so stressed out to where I was almost in tears, like probably going to give myself a heart attack type deal. And and my buddy Tyson looks at me and goes, I don't know, like he goes, let's just say it all goes, it all goes sideways. I know that wouldn't be good, but he goes, but, but did you die? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you it's know, true. at the end of it all, you've got to remember that when you are taking risk, there's big risk, but there's big reward. And at the end of it all, you're still alive. Right. You still have an opportunity all the time, every single day to get up, go make changes, make something happen for yourself, for your family and and just go do it. 
right? Mm-hmm. So, anyways, that that'd be it. Is, is, did you die? It, did, did you, you die? die? All right, I mean, yeah, that's it, a good one. It, it could be way worse. One hundred percent. So I I tend to try to get to get my own employees out of their head as I like. Okay, like they get you know up in their own head. And I'm like, okay, let's make the worst case scenario. Okay, that's what's the worst? No, let's make it even worse. And then you almost like make a game of it, right? And then when they do play it out and be like, okay, so if all that happens, like you know, can we get away from that? You know, can we overcome that? How could you overcome that? And then, you know, you almost get your own employee to get over their own selves. And then at the end of it, they end up being really motivated and then going and tackling yeah. it after that. And so I totally love that. And then, okay, so what's the single, what's a piece of worst advice that you've ever been received? Um, worst advice um, actually was, uh, I don't know if it was the worst advice, but it sticks out in my mind is last year when we were, um, scaling up our business, we had our lending partner that we were moving forward with. They said, Hey, you guys can't scale out of Alaska fast enough. You need to go spend a ton of money on an office down South where you can scale up your call center better. Mm. And not a single time did they ever mention that there are outsourced call centers that will cost you pennies on the dollar for a new cash intensive startup and will help you massively. So we went and spent a huge amount of money on a new office down there. And, you know, I guess the the bad advice there that I felt like they gave us was they massively inflated our overhead for us, saying that that was going to be a condition of closing. And then they didn't even close with us on the loan, right? And, uh, you know, again another challenge that we overcame and yeah. we we've, we've been able to move forward really really well out of the entire thing but but bad advice would be to that just by spending more money for your business does not mean you're going to end up making more money in the other a really great book for any business owner to read especially especially in a smaller business setting um, you know anything sub 5 million a year of business for sure is called profit first read that book is really, really, really good because there's this thought in people's heads that if I spend more money on marketing, spend more money on more people, spend more money on this, that, or the other, that it'll mean more sales. And Mm -hmm. that's not necessarily true, right? So you have to figure out a way that it's no different than staying in budget inside of your home. If you spend more money than you make, you're going to have problems, right? Mm -hmm. So figuring out how do I increase income before I increase expenses right. is huge. So, right. yeah, I always, I mean, when I'm talking to other business owners and stuff, they constantly want to bring on more to level the demand. But I always encourage to go 15, 20% further than that. So then you truly have the need for that. Cause mm-hmm. like you'd be surprised when you start looking in the own mirror, there's a lot of opportunities to be cleaner or neater internally yeah. that then wouldn't help you scale with that. So hundred yep. percent. Well, buddy, uh, this was amazing. I'm grateful for you taking the time to get on here and share about Zoe. Is there anything else that you wanted to get out there to the, the, the world? You know, this is an Alaska based, a lot of business, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs that engage with me on this stuff that, seems, you know, valuable to share with the group? Um, I don't know. Um, I know that if there's anybody out here that needs support from another person that's been going through all of it on a pretty grand scale, um, I'm just always happy to be a support system. I want to get a lot more involved in other entrepreneurs doing stuff in Alaska. So, you know, I've got 
a lot of experience now of how not to do things and how to survive it, right? So so I I keep making the joke, but it's not necessarily a joke that that my book will be coming out sooner than later about how to fail to success, right? right? You know, it's a series of failures, getting them out of the way and figuring out all the wrong ways to do it and some of the right ways to do things that eventually just add up to success someday. And whether that's just going to be success in my family, financial success, business success, it doesn't matter at some point point at the end of it all, it'll be viewed as success. Yeah. I think the list of things not to do are far greater than the list of things that you have to do, because I think each person's uniquely different. And I would say that there's a lot of different ways to success, however you define that. But I think that there's a lot of commonalities. If we were to sit down and be like, don't do this, don't do this, I'd be like, yep, yep, yep. You know, and that's, (laughs) that really is still a valuable trait. And I agree with you. I was just talking to my wife last night. I was like, especially doing these podcasts, I was like, I have to create a, like, we need to create a mastermind. It's like, we need to create some way to bring people together because there's just too many good things happening out there. And I think we're all just in our own trenches, right? Mm -hmm. But if we all got up and said hi to each other and like, Hey, what are you doing? What are you doing? We would inspire so much more probably internal change in our businesses that could greatly impact the masses, you know? So, yeah. And I think, I think other business owners and CEOs and, and whoever it is being, vulnerable with each other is key, right? Because mm-hmm. I could sh- I could show up and say, hey, we're doing all these really cool, cool, cool things. Right. And so could you and so could every yep. other guy. But nobody cares about that, right? Nope. I mean, great. I'm super excited you're doing great. But I want to learn from the tough things you're getting over. That's that's where the real value is and the rubber meets the road. So, you know, people that want to get together and just be vulnerable and get raw and say, man, this is what I'm struggling with trying to get over and I need some support. Great. Yeah, let's go be supporters to each other. And I'd, I'd like to be that to people if I can, because I know how important those people have been in my life for the success of our business. Yeah, well, I this was awesome. And I'll definitely link an email or however you want people to get contacted to you to be able to reach out to you if they want to. If that sounds good to you. Well, thanks, buddy. Thank you very much. I'm honored.